Good morning. I'm excited to be with you today. You have to deal with my uh, throat and my inability to speak clearly, so I hope that you will work with me on that. We've, our whole family's been kind of taken down by the sickness. Uh, we weren't down with the sickness, we've been taken down by the sickness, and so <laughs> if you would uh, help me out by praying for me that we'll make it through this my second time uh, today, and uh, if you would turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6, um, I'm also going to get you to turn in just a moment to not just Daniel chapter 6, but also uh, over to a place in Scripture that you may be like, well, why are we going there? We're going to go to Jeremiah 29. So find Daniel chapter 6, put your finger there, or put a piece of paper there, and then turn over to Jeremiah 29. Now, some of you in here may be very well aware of how to find that in your Bible really fast. Some of you, therefore, have cheat sheets because you have indexed Bibles, and that's great too. Uh, but if you don't, just look in the front of your Bible, and at the very front, you've got an index there that you can find a table of contents to find where you're going, all right? Uh, now, the reason we're going to jump back over to Jeremiah 29 is it's going to give us the context for what's going on in the book of Daniel and kind of what set us up for where we need to be. Uh, but we're going to be spending most of our time, as far as like the main gist of this time in Daniel chapter 6, which is the story of Daniel being thrown to the lions. So you've heard this story. There's, there's a possibility you could step into this today and think that you've kind of got this down, you know this, you know you may have had some new insights from one of the other sermons on Moses or maybe on Abraham, but, but you know Daniel. And so nothing new is going to come today, so you may feel like kind of strolling through this easy. But I want to challenge you, do not get comfortable with the, what you think you know about the story of Daniel. Some of that stuff's going to be true, but some of that stuff I think that we've been taught in a desire to get us to understand and know the story as we grew up. A lot of us heard it when we were young at first, but I think most of us, though, don't understand fully uh, how we need to be impacted and changed according to the story that God has given us here. It's not just a story, it's history. Uh, and I'm going to take several kind of excursions as we go through the text to point out a couple of things about how to read the Bible when we read the scriptures together. So just be ready for that. Uh, also, I hope you'll be ready to take some notes. We're not going to have the notes in there for you to fill out with a blank. You're going to have to write them down this time. I'm sorry for the extra work. That's how it's going to work this week. But what I will tell you is this. We're going to have one main point, and then we're going to have four points that kind of back that up or kind of just unpack that main point. And the main point is this. So go ahead and get ready for this main point. We're going to put it on the screen for you. God alone is able to deliver you. God alone is able to deliver you. You can insert the word rescue instead of deliver if you really wanted to. It's up to you, however you like it, whichever term you like. I kind of like the, the, the word rescue simply because I, the song's been stuck in my head all week as I've been working through this text. Uh, from Rend Collective. If you're not familiar with them, they, they have kind of this, uh, I don't know the right word for it, uh, the, the style I like a lot, and they have this song called Rescuer, that he's our rescuer. And so he alone, God alone, is able to rescue or deliver you. Now, every other point today is going to be just an addition to that. He's going to rescue us from something. So it's going to be God is alone is able to rescue us from blank, from blank. So just get ready for that. Are you ready for that? All right, good, good, we're ready to go. All right, so we're good with that, and I've told you about my sickness, so if I have to, like, cough or something, you're okay with that, right? Okay, good. So now, what I'm not going to do, though, is apologize for the Word of God, okay? 
Okay. So I'm going to read some stuff, and we're going to talk about some issues in life that surround us, and then we're finally going to get to the major points. So just hang with me as we get there. Let's talk about how this story gets introduced. So you've all heard the story of Daniel getting thrown to the lions. We're not going to start in this, we're going to start in Jeremiah 29, verse uh, 4 and on. The reason we're starting there is because Jeremiah was a prophet, and Jeremiah was around there where when the, the, the Israelites were exiled and were taken captive by the Babylonians. This is what we call the Babylonian exile. And as they're taken away, Jeremiah writes a letter to them after he has kind of dealt with the false prophet, Hananiah. And after he's done that, he then writes a letter and tells them some instructions of what to do. Because here's what had happened. These folks were exiled. They go to Babylon and they decide, hey, you know what? God has been very clear. We're not going to intermarry. We're not going to mix our, our, uh, ourselves with people who don't love the Lord. And so we are going to set up shop outside of the city. We're not going to be a part of the city. We're going to have our own neighborhood out here. We're going to kind of set up a ghetto in that sense. So while we're enslaved and we're going to work out here and we're going to do our own school, we're going to do our own work. We're going to do our, our, our own like times together for fun and community. We're going to do our own thing while we're in exile. They can have us, they can take us captive, but they can't make us want to participate with them. We're not going to do that and get dirtied up by them. Well, Jeremiah calls them out on it. So let's look what he says in chapter 29, verse 4 and on. Thus says the Lord of hosts, he's writing a letter, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now hang on there. Did you see that? Did you notice what just happened? Last week we talked about the sovereignty of God in all things, right? Look at that verse 4 again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So has Nebuchadnezzar been the guy that's taken the Israelites into captivity and pushed them into exile? Not ultimately. I mean, he was the guy that did it on the ground, but his God has put them into exile. He has purposefully put them into exile. He owns it right there. Verse 5. He tells them, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. He says, don't get holed up into your holy huddle and just wait for me. It's going to be a while. We'll see that in a minute. And, and you just go ahead and do what I told you. Be fruitful, multiply, marry, build houses, like plant food, run the ground. Do what you're supposed to do, right? Verse 7. That's normal. They should expect that. That's what they were going to do. Look at verse 7. He says, but, this is the turning point in this part. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now, that is a very strange statement. Can you imagine with me for just a minute that Canada invaded the U.S.? I know it's like far-fetched, but can you just imagine for a second, right? Now, if they took us, a lot of us out, and we left and went with them to Toronto, and we set up camp outside of Toronto, most of us would not think that it would be the thing to do would be to go into the community and try to seek the welfare of Toronto. We'd be ticked, right? Right? Right. We'd be mad. I'd be mad. I like to think that I'd be one of those 3% revolutionaries, right? I mean, I'd be one of those guys that would be picking up arms and trying to fight our way back to the States. You know, that's what we try to do. But what does God say to do here through his prophet? He says, but seek the welfare of the city. That's counterintuitive, right? Look at it again, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. 
He's telling them, don't, don't take up arms. Don't fight this. I sent you into exile. I want you to come now and to seek the welfare of the city. Now, if you can imagine, like think about some other stories in the Old Testament. What does that kind of sound like? I want you to go to a city where you don't want to go, and I want you to, to speak highly of me, and I want you to seek the welfare of the city that you hate. Jonah, right? You think of Jonah? Jonah was sent to a place he didn't want to go. In fact, he detoured real hard left, right, and got brought back by the giant fish. And so we'll get that story later. But he, he went there, and he didn't like the people, didn't want to see them. And then God relents from bringing justice and destruction upon them, and he gets mad because they got away with all their not being for God from before he came there, right? I mean, this is the kind of the same idea. These guys are sent out in exile. They're like, we're going to set up our camp out here and do our thing. And we're not going to fold into this government and in this land, and we're not going to do this thing. We're not going to be on their team. We're on our team. I can't believe we're in captivity. And God said, no, 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 I did that. And now you need to seek the welfare of the city of Babylon. That in their welfare will be your welfare. Now I'll take a side point for just a second. Okay? Now as hard as that might sound for them to have to do, I want us to understand that that is no different in a lot of ways for what God is calling us to do, even though our country seems to be going in such a way that it's not welcoming to us as Christians. We are not called to sit here and only take up arms and politically only be active in that way. Now, as good citizens, we are called to do that. We're called to take up arms if necessary as citizens to protect the people in our country, as well as to help others that can't help themselves, to take care of the innocent. We're supposed to do that. And we're supposed to be good citizens in the sense that we take part in what's going on with the government. What I'm saying, though, is that we don't need to create holy huddles Every time that the government does something we think is, goes against our faith. Because a lot of them are lost and they don't get the gospel. And so how would we ever expect them to act in such a way that they would act in alignment with the gospel? That doesn't even make any sense. The worst thing we can do is holy huddle, holy huddle, can't talk, holy huddle ourselves up and then make it sound like that we hate those people that don't like us because of Jesus. That's the complete opposite of the gospel. We are to seek the welfare of our city even when they come against us. We're to seek the welfare of our community even when they come against us as Christians because that's how we show the grace of Jesus. So we need to make sure we make a really defined delineation between our politicisms, our political rants, our things we're all about as, as, as people that are citizens, and our faith. You can be full in your faith and be a good citizen but you've got to make sure that your political leanings or strongholds don't overcome your faith. They're not married. I want to say it that way. Here, if it was married, they'd be fighting hard the whole time or trying to get in the government and change the government for the sake of making it the way it should be with God at the top. They're not doing that. They're seeking the welfare of the city. We're going to see why in a few minutes. It sounds crazy, but we're going to see why in a few minutes. Keep going, verse 8 and 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill you to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. There's his ownership again, where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, I want to make sure we understand this too. 
There are some things in the scriptures that are written for us but not about us that don't really apply to us. You need to understand that. And there's other things in the scriptures that are written for us and they're not about us, but they do apply to us. So how do we determine those things? Well, if you read a passage of Scripture, and in that passage it talks about something, but that doesn't line up with a lot of other things you see in Scripture that it may not be for you. Maybe it just is for those people in that time. You get what I'm saying? Like, if God calls a certain group of people and says, hey, I'm going to restore all your fortunes, you're going to have everything that I've told you I would give you, and you're going to be rich again, then we look at Jesus and he goes, you know what, he died homeless and naked on a cross I don't think we can expect to be that way. We read Hebrews 11, we see that some were sawn in two for their faith. Some were tortured to death for their faith. Some were destitute in their faith, and they are heroes, Hebrews 11 says. We can't always assume, then, that when we read Scripture like this, that he's talking about us. But I know that you guys have seen these verses before, right? I'm going to read it again, verse 11 of this chapter 29 of Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I must say it is good to be back in the land of the Bible Belt in a lot of ways, just so you know. I see this kind of stuff everywhere I turn, right? I go to Walmart and I see like, shirts for sale that say believe and faith and all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, I was like in Babylon and now I'm back here to Israel, you know? That's what it kind of feels like. And it's cool in, in a lot of ways. But then I get a little angry too because I walk into places that I love to go to like Hobby Lobby and I find these things on signs and they're taken out of context. Or I see people talk about it, and they're taken out of context. They post on Facebook, and they're taken out of context. Verse 11 is, is, is not about us. Okay? It's about the Israelites in this particular story. Now, there's some truth in there that is for us. Okay? In the grand scheme, in an eschatological way, in a way of the end times kind of way. Look at it again, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Yes, he does. And the way he provided for us in that way is by Jesus. And his future for us that is good and will end up great for us is in eternity. And that will be the case. Look what he goes on and says. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Yes, when you call out to the Lord, he hears you. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is true. That's all throughout scripture. We know it's true for everybody. That's the case. Verse 14, and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. We go, man, if the Lord loves me, he's going to make me rich. No. Just like you're not in Egypt right now. You're here. He hasn't driven you out of here in exile. He's not talking to you. And that general truth is not the same for everybody else. Okay? It's not. So we've got to make sure we interpret Scripture not the way that feels good to us, but the way that's in context to understand it. So let me say it like this. I gave you the big point earlier. God alone is able to deliver you and rescue you. And that's true, always. He's the only one that ultimately can do that. Let me put this in context of you too. If we're not careful, we'll be just like these Israelites and we will get ourselves into our holy huddles and we will not seek the welfare of the city. We church need to be involved in the community in such a way that we are, we are out there participating in a way that's not just to get people to come to church, but to seek the welfare of the city. We should do that. Do you know why we should do that? Because God uses that to make much of himself in those situations. And if we are spending all of our time behind these walls or in our Sunday school classes or in our small groups or in our our gatherings that we have, wherever they might be, then we are only doing the gathering and we're not doing the scattering. We're not seeking the welfare of the city. We're being just like the Israelites who are being 
told by God not to do that. Seek the welfare of the city. Now, how do we know that's the case forever and not just now? Because continually he says, go and make disciples. Okay, it's the same thing we fulfilled. Now he's telling you how you do it, through Jesus, through Jesus. That's how you're going to seek the welfare of the city ultimately. And it's great for us to do the events we're going to do like tonight where we have trunk or treat and people are going to come to us, but that's not the only event you get to do this year that's going to say that you are seeking the welfare of the city. If that's all we do, then we are not living out the gospel. He says, go. Go. Make disciples. We need to make sure to understand that God alone is able to deliver us. And one of the things that he delivers us from is God alone can deliver us from isolationism as the church. That's your first sub-point. God alone can deliver you from isolationism. If you are seeking to stay separate from everybody else and to not be tainted with the dirtiness of other people or to not be, not to be messed with about how that people want to in, in, get into the midst of your life and, and to put new things on you that you don't want to have burdens in, then what you're saying is, is that you care more about your comfort, you care more about your safety, you care more about that than you do about Jesus' name being made great in the midst of those people. He says that all of those who give their lives for him, that's the ones that are his, right? God alone is able to deliver you from isolation. And look at this verse 8 and 9 here too, Jeremiah 29. We're not even into Daniel yet, right? For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. There are people that will preach to you things that do not line up with the scriptures. And it is your responsibility to discern whether or not it's true. You cannot go and listen or watch and and take in everybody's junk and just take it at face value because they open the Bible. They can get up and hold the Bible up and say how much they love it. And then when they open it, if it does not line up with what the Bible says, you need to toss it and throw it away. And I think we need to encourage people not to be a part of those places. Because otherwise, we're letting them walk away to hell. Instead of in Jude, when it shows us, we're to snatch them out of the fire. But you don't have to be a jerk about it. But because you love somebody, you're going to jump in. That's part of this whole thing, too. If you love someone the way Christ has loved you, then you will do something to keep them from walking down that road to hell. That's what you will do. Because you love them, because he first loved us. That's what it looks like. That's what it said. Look, we take a side step. We're going to get our toes stepped on a day, Okay? But we're Christians. What that means is we like it when our toes get stepped on because that means we find some areas that we're not like Jesus and God is going to work in us to change us to look more like Jesus. And we're good and happy about that, right? Even if it doesn't feel good in the moment. So are you ready for some more toe stepping? Okay, you asked for it then. God alone is able to deliver you not just from isolationism but from man-made religion. Because man-made religion says this kind of stuff. It says, hey... God's going to prosper you, and if you, you just seek, man, seek him with all your heart, God's going to give you what you want. You seek him with all your heart, he's going to bless you. And then the, the result is, if you don't have the healing that you want, then that's because you didn't have enough faith. Or if you don't have the, the valuables that you want, or the things you want, it's because you didn't have enough faith in God. And that's just a load of bumpkins, to say it nicely. That's not the truth. Because that means that God doesn't love Jesus. Because he let him die destitute, naked, tortured on a cross in the most horrific way we can imagine. So that, 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 that doesn't even compute. 
Go back to algebra, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, whenever you took it, or 10th and 11th grade again, whatever it took for you, right? And work out the formula. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen. God alone is able to deliver you from that man-made religion. And the way he did it was give you Jesus. So what you see is a guy who did not stay away and look at us from the outside, but who invaded our world and stepped out of eternity, the greatest step you can imagine, to become one of us, to walk with us, to live with us, to die for us, so that he could be raised victorious over Satan, sin, death, and hell, so that we could be brought into the family of God. That's what he's done for us. And now we call ourselves Christians because we're like Christ, right? It's our turn to step back out there and not be isolationist and not fall into man-made religion. No, no. Seek the Lord. You can come up with your own junk and add it to Scripture. That's what people do all the time. We have to fight that. We need one another. We need the Word. We need to come together and fight that together. We're fighting it today. Look, flip over to Daniel 6. This is a crazy story, right? I want you to get this. Crazy story because Daniel, we think of him like this hero type guy. We think of him as like, man, he just had everything go so great for him. Look, guy is 80-something years old by this point. He has been in captivity for a long time. He's worked his way up through the rungs of leadership to seek the welfare of the city to be obedient. Every day he goes home and he prays three times a day. He faces towards where the homeland is and he prays. You know he's asking the Lord, please deliver us, please deliver us, please deliver us. I've been a leader here, God, you're not delivering. Let me be like Moses. Let me carry the people through. Let me be a part of that. Deliver us, deliver us. He's waiting and waiting and waiting and not happening and not happening. And now he's lifted up in a higher level position. Look at this, verse 1 through 4. It pleased Darius, chapter 6 of Daniel, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents uh, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Look at verse 4. This is how it works, right? Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They said, look, we can't find anything this guy's doing wrong. He's totally ethical. He is totally great in his business practices. There's nothing wrong with this guy. We're going to have to catch him in a trick based off his religion. That's what we're going to have to do. So Daniel is working hard. He's not seeing any fruit. And now everybody around him that he works with is out to get him. Right? We like to say, man, I wish I could be like Daniel and go through that stuff. No, you don't. I don't. 80 years old, trying to hope, like, come on, Lord. Like, seriously, you said you're going to get us out of here. Come on, where are you? Right? Daniel is not a guy that we want to be like. We've, we've, we've got this picture on that he's this great guy, that just, and he is a good guy. I mean, we see later he's called innocent, right? I mean, he's still a sinner, but he's called innocent. But God alone is able to deliver him, but he hasn't done it yet. He's delivered him out of isolationist thinking. He's delivered him out of man-made religion. I mean, the guy's pursuing the Lord in the midst of crazy, right? In fact, look up. Pick up the next verse, verse 6. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. It always starts out with blowing smoke up somebody's rear, doesn't it? <laughs> o King Darius, live forever. 
All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors, the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Let me take a real small sidestep, right? I don't want to step away from the text because it's right here. But these guys are lying. All the presidents and the prefects and the satraps and the governors. Are all the presidents saying this? They're about to say, hey, you need to throw Daniel to the lions because he broke your law that we made up and got you to sign. Is Daniel in that room? He's one of the three presidents. And every, make sure that we don't become like this group of people that when we want something to be done our way, we'll tell a little bit of falsehood mixed in with a lot of truth in order to get what we want. You know what I'm saying? Let's make sure that we don't color things a certain way to get, let's let the truth alone stand and let God determine where we go. Let's not manipulate with a little bit of falsehood. Let's not tear it down a little bit with a little bit of lie. That's not the way, Lord, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, back into it. Pick it up with me. Verse 8, now, O king, establish this injunction. And sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. They've duped the king because he trusts them. Now, look at verse 10 and on. This is going to get real serious really quick, right? Verse 10. Pay attention to the wording. It's very particular. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Read that again. Look at those two verses again. When Daniel knew, just one verse, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Now notice Daniel didn't get word of this and get mad and say, well, I'll show them. I'm still going to go pray publicly, right? And he goes upstairs and slings the windows open and gets down and starts praying really loud so everybody hears him and hears that he's a Christian, right? Is that what happens? No. He does what he's always done. Daniel remains faithful. He knows what's happened. He goes up home where the windows are already open toward Jerusalem. And he gets down on his knees and he prays three times a day. He keeps praying to the Lord, seeking the Lord. Deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, right? He just keeps seeking the Lord. But let me say to us, folks, our nation has been going in a direction that many of us would say is anti-Christian, right? It will continue to do so because they are not Christians. We understand that, right? Just because we're founded on Judeo-Christian principles doesn't mean that we can expect the people in our government who don't know Jesus to start leading our country in a direction that would love Jesus. It doesn't make sense. Now, we can pray for that. We can want that. You can run for Congress to try to make that happen. I welcome that. I think that we should all go out and vote to try to get people in that will help take us the right direction. What I'm saying, though, is that when it goes against us and they kill, like, praying at Friday night football which I think is wrong, that they would step in and do that. But when that happens, we don't mount up a march and go talk about how bad our government is. We try to seek the welfare of the city, and we go to our Lord, and we pray, Lord, change it. Do something crazy and change it. 
And we try to vote, we try to talk to people about it, but we don't go out there and start acting all extra Christian when we're not living that way already. You, you understand what I'm saying? Let's not get mad if somebody takes prayer out of Friday night football when we're not praying on Fridays at all. Right? But let's, let's start where it is. You hear me right, I'm for having the freedoms that God has granted us through the people that have died for this country. And I'm thankful for that. But that is, that we, we cannot, we need to go to the one who can make the real changes, the one who's really able to deliver us. We go to the Lord together. What would it look like if we gathered together and actually spent more than a few minutes on praying together for the sake of our king and his kingdom in this country? You know what I'm saying? Like, how would that change things instead of getting mad about stuff and talking about it around the water cooler? What if we made a difference that way and sought the Lord? Here's what Daniel does. He goes home. He knows it's been signed. He goes home. He goes up to the place where he always prays. He gets on his knees, and he faces his homeland that he does. God has promised he'll deliver him to, and he prays, and he prays, and he prays, and he prays, and he prays over and over and over again. Look what happens after that. Verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He loved him very much. He was putting him over everything, in charge of everything. And according to the laws back in that day, you had until sunset to carry out the conviction. So he labored all day to find a way to get Daniel off the hook, to deliver him. He wanted to deliver Daniel out of the hands of this problem, but he could not do it. Verse 15, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might change concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his place his palace, and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. This guy really loved Daniel. And he got duped into some trickery where he was going to kill a friend, somebody he trusted. And he tried to deliver him, but he couldn't deliver him. And you can look at all this and think, man, Daniel, what's he been doing? He's been doing what the Lord said, seeking the welfare of the city, giving his life to the city. He's been serving faithfully, doing nothing wrong for personal gain, doing none of that stuff. None of those things happening. He's praying every day continually to the Lord. He's pleading, Lord, for deliverance. I'm sure he's pleading for his nation and for himself. He's seeking the Lord. He's following the Lord. He's doing everything. And what happens? He gets thrown to the lions anyway. If we're not careful... We can think that God's going to give us good things because we love him and do these things for him instead of recognizing that even if we still follow him, we may still get thrown to the lions. Just three chapters earlier, it happens to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They, they, they just say, whatever, God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to faithfully serve him. That's what Daniel does. These stories are almost mirror images. Go back and compare the two. It's crazy. God alone is able to deliver Daniel. 
He delivers him from isolationism. He delivers him from man-made religion. He doesn't let him fall into that. And he can also do this for you and for me, and he did it for Daniel. He can deliver us, because he alone can deliver us from success-based faith. Many of us will follow God as long as we get what we want or get what we think we deserve. But the minute we don't get what we think we deserve, many things don't go the way we anticipate they should or think they should, that minute we begin to say, God, you're not the God that I want to serve. And we may say, I would never do that. Well, wait until a child is taken. Or wait until something that you've put your whole life's hopes on and it's gone. And where do you stand? You know, you're failing, faltering, flaying, like whatever it is, flailing, failing, whatever it is. You're gonna, wherever you are, you're going to be in a place where you realize all of a sudden, do you really believe in the God of Scripture or have you been believing in a God that lines up with your thoughts that are contrary to Scripture? God alone is able to deliver us from that success-based faith. But you may think that you should have a certain thing. All we deserve because of our sinfulness is condemnation. That's it. He doesn't owe us anything except his wrath because we've rebelled against him. That's it. And instead, he gives us his one and only son, Jesus Christ, the righteous one when we are not, so that we can be brought into his family instead of condemned under his wrath. He can deliver you from success-based faith. The only success-based faith we need to believe in is the success that came from Jesus Christ dying on the cross and purchasing you on the cross successfully in his death and being victorious over Satan's sin, death, and hell as he resurrected from the dead. That's the only success we need to depend on. Anything you add to your need for happiness in the Lord, anything you add to Jesus for that is detracting from his glory and worth. Yeah, 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 I got Jesus, but I got to have this kind of family. Oh, yeah, I got Jesus, but I got to have this promotion. Oh, yeah, I've got Jesus, but I got to have this extra thing. We're just adding to the gospel, which means we're detracting from God's glory and detracting from the value of Jesus. And that's nothing but wrong. That's it. It's just not okay. Success-based faith is wrong. Man-made religion, wrong. Isolationism, wrong. And God can deliver us just like he delivers Daniel. Look at verse 19. The good part, you've been waiting all week for this, right? Or you woke up today going, I can't wait to get to verse 19. This is the apex of the story. This is it. Look at it. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? You notice that word deliver has been here at least three times now. Has he been able to deliver you from the lions? Must have been the longest pause, waiting to hear back, no matter how fast it was. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. So because he was found blameless, no harm came to him. Look at verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Listen, because he had trusted in his God. Now, we got to be real careful here. I want to make sure we understand. The reason why Daniel was not harmed is because he trusted in the Lord. But be careful not to think that if you have enough faith, God's not going to let you be harmed. It doesn't always work that way for everybody. There's too many of you in here that love the Lord and have gone through cancer. There's too many of you in here who love Jesus but have had a loss in your life of someone you'd rather not have lost in the time. 
right? There's too many of us going through too many hard things to say that God always gives you what you want, or God always gives you the best. He does give you the best. His name is Jesus, and he's either enough or he's not. But the real question for us is how does this work? If we're not careful, we would moralize this story and say that you need to trust in the Lord and you'll get what you want. You need to trust in the Lord. He'll deliver you out of your problem right now. That's not the picture. That's not the picture. But I will say that God is the only one who's able to deliver you from death. The whole thing, isolationism, man-made religion, success-based faith, and death. God alone is able to deliver you from death. And that's what we look at here. If you want to take an old story about an old thing, you say, that's why God did it. He, Daniel had faith. He delivered Daniel out of the lion's den. He did that. But that may not apply directly to you. So how do you make sure? You take it to the cross. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to have enough faith and be innocent? Well, how many of us have been innocent and have enough faith to get there? I'm glad nobody put their hand up. It's good. So then we have to ask ourselves, well, why can't I do that? Why don't I do it? And you have to say something like, well, because sometimes I don't believe. Sometimes I don't have the faith. Sometimes I struggle. Sometimes I don't think about even going to the Lord. Sometimes I don't really feel like it's going to work out. I don't believe in that sense it will. Sometimes I've not been innocent. I've done something I shouldn't have done. Well, then we have to go, how did Jesus do it for me? That's the question everything hangs on, right? How has Jesus done it for me? This is how, right? Because he was truly innocent and died for us on the cross, and he endured the pain and the suffering of death so that we don't have to. Look, look at Daniel. Look what happened here, right? The animals had their mouths shut. Verse 24, the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. So Daniel was spared, proving us they were hungry because they ate them, their kids, and their wives as soon as they tossed one. That's the kind of law of the Medes and Persians. That's what happened. They tricked the king, the king threw them all in. That's what we deserve, folks. We try to trick the king like, hey, I'm okay because I go to church. I'm okay because I pray and I'm okay because I know scripture. I did this thing for you. Let me, I'm good with you, right? We deserve to be destroyed. Instead, he closes the mouths of the lines of his judgment by giving his one and only son in our place. Look, let me give it to you this way. Sidney Gradanus, if you like commentaries, pick up any of his stuff on seeing the gospel in these Old Testament books. I'm going to read some of his stuff, and I'm going to say a few extra things I add to it, right? He says it like this. As the presidents and satraps conspired against Daniel, so the chief priests and elders of the people conspired to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. See how Daniel points to Jesus? It isn't just about Daniel. And that is about Jesus, ultimately. Everything is about Jesus. Look, the conspirators could not find corruption in Daniel. And the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. And Daniel was, was convicted by trickery. So was Jesus. The high priest, quote, tore his clothes and said, he has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? He never blasphemed. It was trickery. Daniel was found guilty of transgressing the law of the Medes and Persians. Jesus was found guilty of transgressing the law of the Jews, but not of God's law. Darius unsuccessfully tried to save Daniel, just like Pilate unsuccessfully tried to save Jesus. Daniel trusted in his God. Jesus trusted in his Father. Daniel descended into the pit, his grave, and Jesus' body was laid in the tomb for us. Daniel's grave was covered with a stone, just like Jesus' tomb was covered with a great stone. The king sealed the stone on Daniel's grave, and Jesus' tomb was made secure by sealing the stone. 
The king found Daniel alive early the next morning and had him lifted up out of his grave. And very early, this is a quote, right? Very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, the three women went to the tomb where an angel told them, Jesus has been raised. And Daniel prospered after God saved him from certain death. Jesus prospered after God saved him from death. After his resurrection, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, that's how Daniel points to Jesus. But now let's take just a moment and see how Jesus is the greater Daniel. Daniel points to Jesus, but he's not Jesus. But Jesus is definitely the greater Daniel. See, all this whole thing is meant to point us to the glory of God, right? Everything that goes on. He let them go into exile. He put them into exile so that they would seek the welfare of the city so that King Darius would do things like this, right? Look at this. King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth. He wrote this in verse 25 and on. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. See, if Daniel had not have been thrown into the lion's den, we would never have seen Darius make much of the Lord, the one true God. So Daniel may not have understood what was going on and why it was happening, but he trusted in the Lord and he was delivered. And he was delivered, if not in life here, in his death, he would have been delivered over because of his faith in God, and God would have been glorified as the king got to speak highly. And and for us, the thing that is at the apex of God's glory, to understand him fully, is not just that he delivers you or me or Daniel, it's the fact that he gave his one and only son to deliver all of us who don't deserve deliverance. That he created us to love him and yet we refuse to do it and so he sent his only perfect son to live the life we could never live in perfection and to die the death that we deserve so that we can be brought into the family of god all for his glory so jesus is at the apex of his glory and he is lifted up on the cross he is lifted up as the central figure of all life ever and will be so how is he the greater daniel how does it really point to every story you read should be how does it point me to jesus Everything you read the Bible, how does this point me to Jesus? If it points you to just being morally better, you haven't gone deep enough to say, how did Jesus do this for me already? How does it make me love him more? But here's how it does it. Although Daniel claimed to be blameless before God, he was still a sinner. Jesus, by contrast, was the sinless son of God, the perfect lamb without blemish, the true and only blameless one. Daniel faced the possibility of death, but Jesus actually died for our sins to become our savior. Daniel rose from his grave only to die at a later date. But Jesus rose from his grave, defeating Satan, sin, death, and hell, and he still lives, making intercession on our behalf before the Father. Daniel was merely a man. Jesus is the God-man. Daniel gave his life to the king. But in Jesus, the king has given his life to us. Do we see surpassing greatness and value of the Savior who would give his own life for us, the King who would die for the rebels. It's so different than everything we can imagine. And it should turn our hearts back to the Lord to say he alone is able to deliver us. You see, God prospered Daniel during the reign of 
Darius, but God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything, everything, everything is about him. He's the hero. He's the greater Daniel, the greater Moses, the greater Abraham. He's the greater of everything because everything in this universe is intended to point to him and his glory for he alone can deliver. Let us pray. Father, you, you alone are able to deliver us. And you have provided the way as giving us Jesus. Lord, I thank you for him. I thank you for giving us the way and the truth and the life who is Jesus Christ, your one and only son. But Lord, we oftentimes get hung up just on that piece where he is our savior, but he's also the one who delivers us from our sins. Even now, the little sins, the big sins, all of them great things that make us rebels and make us worthy of wrath. And yet, Jesus, your son, drank down your wrath to the dregs so that we might be brought into your family. We will never fully fathom that. But, Lord, we get to partake of that goodness as we feast on the gospel of Jesus, your son. Thank you. Help us not to be isolationists, Lord but to seek the welfare of our city for the sake of your glory. Help us, Lord, not to fall into man-made religion, but to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and to encourage one another and admonish and rebuke one another as necessary so that we might walk in the way, the true way, the way of Christ Jesus, your Son. Lord, I thank you that you've overcome death in our place, that you would not allow us to live in success-based faith, but you would give us Jesus who points to how death brought about our salvation. So that our success is not on how we do, but on what Jesus has done. And it is finished. Lord, we thank you for him. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.